Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 431. It's not about who the chef is. It's not about creating food. It's not about the food on the plate. It's really not. I think the food comes from how a group of people treat each other, 100%. Are you ready for It Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. All right, what's going on, guys? So uh, if you listen to the last episode, episode 430, uh, we were going long, but I'm cool with it. Chef is cool with it. So we're just going to pick up where we left off. Uh, So if you're listening to this episode and you, you did not listen to episode 430, go back, pick up on episode 430 this is episode 431 and we're picking up where we left off so uh we left off at you getting the capital getting the equipment with uh only i think you end up having eighty six thousand dollars in your checking account you got all of your equipment for a twenty four hundred dollar donation from the school that broke down not broke down but uh had to close the doors um all right so take it from there what what was Um, the next thing on the tip of your tongue so i mean outside of that i mean i just wanted to party I mean, in the restaurant, I mean, I wanted to have, like, I was yeah. so like, it was like a, it was a con- an accomplishment, you know, it was like a benchmark in my life. And, uh, I really wanted to celebrate every day in the restaurant. I mean, that's kind of the vibe that we opened with was oh, such a, oh, a great way to see it. So we opened up on New Year's Eve and then we took, um, I think two, two weeks off in those two weeks. Um, we had, I think we had a, an actual like party with industry people. Um, and then we did a couple of events with some friends. Um, but then going into like everyday service, um, I, I was really kind of like every single day out. It was a celebration for me. You know, like I was so excited to be here. I was so excited to like be in a kitchen that I built and, um, you know, f- figure out what kind of chef I actually was. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the biggest things that I learned from that as a chef um, not as a restaurant owner or as someone who constructs a restaurant or deals with finances, strip it all away, right? Like down to being a chef, someone who like is passionate about learning about food and serving it to people. Like until I opened Cure Restaurant, I thought I had like a super firm grip on my style of cooking, mm-hmm. what exactly it was. And then I realized I didn't. Okay. 
you know, because all of a sudden there were no other influences. There was no one telling me I couldn't do something in my thought process. I didn't have to think about whether or not that was going to satisfy what the restaurant wanted or what the chef wanted or for the first time ever, realistically inside of a restaurant I had, um, I was, I had all control. Mm. Um, and I realized that I had to learn about my food that I wanted (laughs) to cook and it was great, you know, because I, all, I, it was not a negative thing. It was awesome because I had my own kitchen to do it. Yeah, You get to lean into that curiosity and just like learn as you go. And, uh, I mean, I I can only imagine what that's like. Uh, I'm really curious about something, uh, to prepare for this conversation. I watched the Anthony Bourdain parts unknown, a Pittsburgh episode you're featured. Yeah, Uh, that that was awesome. (laughs) Sarcasm. (laughs) Totally not awesome. Anthony, uh, but you you had mentioned in that interview, and I, I think I'm, I'm understanding where you were coming from. Uh, you said that you opened cure for you. It was totally, for you um and is it because you were you were curious you, you wanted like what, what did you mean by that well i mean let's well the conversation was about in in parts unknown was about gentrification yeah and about how you know he, the way that they spun it was i'm a white person that is privileged solely based on the fact that i'm white yeah. and i came to this poor neighborhood to take advantage of them or of of the neighborhood or the yeah. people that lived here, but the reality of it is, I I am the per I am that person. Yeah, like regardless of color, like this was a neighborhood that I should have been in. I couldn't afford to be anywhere else. I don't, as I explained, I didn't ha- I didn't have any <laughs> yeah. money. You know what I mean? But it's amazing how the shift happened so fast, right? Think back on the conversation we just had about how I actually opened this restaurant, right? Yeah. That's part of it. The other part of it is every dollar this restaurant made for the first four years that it was open went right back into this restaurant, mm-hmm. right? So we basically renovated the restaurant continually for four years mm-hmm. to make it what it is right now. So like I, I kind of like accepted the fact that this restaurant was more important to me than the money that was going into my pockets, Right, because I could have taken that. I could have not changed the restaurant. I couldn't have. I could have not made it a better place in my mind, and probably still did a good business with a whole lot less overhead. Right. Um, so when you said that you were opening the restaurant for you, uh, was it just so you could survive? Isn't that what people do? Yeah. Isn't that why you do what you do? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, let's not like let's not like make it political, right? Can't someone just do everything in their power to do what they love to do, and can't that be okay? Does, do we have to like? Do we have to change lives? And there's another side of that. But do we have to? Does there have to be a political, a, like perspective involved? Do we have to change a community? Like I'm happy that I get to play a role in my local food community. Mm-hmm. I'm happy that we get to make decisions to spend money to people that I know that grow food for us. I'm happy that I get to be in a part of town where. I can employ people and be a part of changing a neighborhood, but the switch happens so fast, right? All of a sudden I'm a yuppie gentrifier, mm-hmm. right? Like, and like, is there anything I can do about that? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, 
before we can take care of others, before we can take care of our community, we need to take care of ourselves first. We need to take, before we can take care of our team, like we need to, to make sure we're in a good place that we're paying our own bills that, and we're creating, we, we, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to be a little selfish in order so we, so we can overfill our cup. And when that cup overfills, we give whatever is left over to our community and those that work for us. Yeah. But you can't do it unless you take care of yourself first. So I totally, totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Did that, I hit it or am you I... You nailed it, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, and I think that's why... I mean, I'm not saying that people... There aren't people out there that are solely driven by making change, but, I mean, does a restaurant really change community? I mean, I, I'm not saying it can't play a role in it. It absolutely can. I think it's more than just a restaurant. A restaurant, and, uh, well, with any small business, together, collectively... That is the culture of the community, the the, the businesses, the people, uh, and I mean, I think it influences it, but it takes more than just one restaurant. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a restaurant. There's going to be one, the first something. In this case, in Lawrence, in this part of Lawrenceville, it was Care Restaurant, mm-hmm. and then there was Allegheny Wine Mixer, and then Wild Purveyors opened, mm-hmm. and that was a juice bar. Yeah, and you know, I'm not taking responsibility for that, but like. That's just how it happens. But you know, all ships rise with the tides. Yeah, I mean, say, that's... Right? so I, I get what you're saying. I don't think we need to go any deeper unless you want to. No, no. Uh, uh, but okay. So one thing you said uh, during this, just what we we're talking about, is uh, everything you were making, you were putting back into the business. You were growing the business. So talk to us about that. Uh, why, like the the scaling of the business and how you grew the business from 2011 to 2015? What what did that process look like of growing the business? Um, well, a lot of it to me was uh, I got so I'm I was always so involved with the actual design and construction of the physical space um, that I couldn't afford to put it where I wanted it to be, um, but I was determined to make it the physical space that I wanted it to be. So. Because I, I think that there's a, there's a lot of value in that. You know, I think that people want to see a restaurant evolve. I think some people don't even re- need to realize that it's happening. I think you come into a restaurant that you love and you don't even know that something has changed. But like someone in the restaurant needs to be thinking about the evolution of a restaurant and that physical space is part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's always that's part of my, what I do for our restaurants. Um, so I we were, you know, we were, when we opened this place was rowdy. We were BYOB. We played the music I wanted to listen to really loud. And <laughs> I, I, I DJed every single night. I had an iPad that was on a stand in the kitchen oh, right next great. to the pass. And basically we were listening to the music that the staff wanted to listen to. And that often was like inappropriate to some of the people in the restaurant. And we played music at sound levels that were ridiculous. <laughs> well, our first review from China Millman, who used to be our food writer gave us like four stars on everything and then in the comments uh, she said sound level was loud to excruciating <laughs> right people would come to the past and, and say things like oh thank you dinner was so great and i would literally go what because i couldn't hear what they were saying yeah. i mean we were just jamming you know i think there's a it's something that's worth pointing out here and it's, it's a trend i've seen in successful people um like yourself uh they don't necessarily a lot of people say you know give the market what they want. And there, I think there's some truth to that, but to really make it in this industry, you, you've got to have fun. You, yeah. You've got to, your, your restaurant almost has to be an extension of who you are, your personal brand. And when and this whole concept of concepts 
uh, of developing a concept, uh, it's really hard to show up every day and to be that concept. Yeah. It's one thing to show up every day and be yourself. It makes it that much easier. You just like that. You just explained a really great comparison for me between Cure and Marcia. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm passionate. I love Marcia. I love what we do there. I also designed and built that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cure requires me, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's great because we designed Marcia to not. And that's actually great. I mean, I'm still as involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, okay. So you're scaling the business. You're, you're adding money back into it. You're kind of evolving the, the physical space. What about the people? How are you involving or evolving the people and grooming the people? Because eventually you had time to go open another restaurant. So there's a lot of work that goes on in that four years to groom those people, to get them to a place where they can replace you. Yeah. Um, we have a guy, a guy who is a full blown freak of nature. Uh, he's <clears throat> his name is, uh, Nate Hobart. He's our chef de cuisine. Or we, he's our co-chef at Marcia restaurant. He's also mm-hmm. a part owner. Um, he started working for me at elements when he was 17 years old. Um, and really he, I think he'd only worked in a pizza shop. Um, I, I don't know that I've met anyone in my life as like solid and <laughs> driven as he is. He's incredibly talented. Um, in a lot of ways more talented than I am. Um, He's got definitely has strengths that I, I don't, that are my weaknesses, but, uh, he, you know, he opened this restaurant with me as a cook and, um, to talk, to speak on the culinary side of it, uh, you know, he opened, he was one of my opening cooks and, uh, you know, every sous chef that got hired and walked away, you know, like Nate was just there Mm. and he, his, he grew and learned so fast that, um, you know, at one point I was just like, all right, man, like realistically you two you and i are the only two people that have been here since it opened yeah. so like um it's only natural and you know i think that i immediately saw that in nate and um i've been continually focusing on giving him everything he needs to succeed ever since what's, what's that look like things he needs to succeed well you know at first it was it was technique it was skill it was it was showing him how to do absolutely everything and that evolves into this is how we treat each other this is how i i expect everyone to act mm-hmm. um you know these are your standards you know they need to be really high and so th- those standards i'm sorry am i cutting you short no go for it those standards are you is it just unspoken is it it's spoken uh, is a, it documented do how do you how well do you- it wasn't i know it is but like i'm i'm i well one of the things i preach about uh is communication mm-hmm. and it not it's not emails it's it's like when we're working in a kitchen we need to be all on the same page which means we have to have real prep lists and we need to talk about it mm-hmm you know what I mean? And then that, that overflows into how we're communicating with service and how they're affecting the dining room, right? But it's all about opening your mouth. It's all about talking about what's going on. What do you need? How can I make it better? How can I help you? Do you need help? I need help, mm-hmm. right? The most powerful tool we have, I think, as humans is asking for help, yep. right? And if you're a real human, you, you, you go and help that person yeah. because at some point you're going to need help and that person's going to be selflessly help you, right? Mm. And it's teaching that, right? Nate's got it. Like we have another person, I mean, our chef de cuisine, Danielle uh, Felix here at Cure has got it. She's amazing also. Um, but um, yeah, Nate and I, Nate learned how to cook my way, the hard way. There were, when we first opened, it was really hard to get people to come to work here. Um, I think it's a unique restaurant in, in the city and it even more so then. Um, I don't think cooks wanted to come to work for me because <laughs> I, I think people thought I was a total lunatic, but I just was put myself in a position where I had everything to lose. 
and I wasn't willing to lose it. And I don't think anyone knows what that means until they put themselves in that position. Um, but Nate was the only guy that stuck with me through it until like we proved to ourselves that we're here and we're not going anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, but like, you know, to be in the financial situation that I explained and like I, that meant that I wasn't letting cooks come to work until three o'clock and I was getting here at 8 a.m. and I was prepping, you know, and I was scrubbing down a kitchen and, um, you know, Nate and I experienced some moments where we didn't have cooks. Mm. Um, and this was after we had gained some success and we went like probably five months where Nate and I were the only two cooks in the kitchen. So what happened to your cooks? What, where did they go? We just couldn't find cooks that we wanted to hire. Yeah. You know, we would have people in the stage. We went through the whole thing where we'd hired, we hired people because we needed people and they weren't the right people, you know, and it's nothing against those people. It's just that it takes a specific type of person. There's a lot of value in that though, too, to know your standard, to know exactly what you're looking for, because you, you, as soon as you start to make exceptions, it's like the frog in hot water, yeah. right? Like you slowly start, you know, if you, if you turn the water up slowly, the, the frog will cook. If you, do, if you drop it in, it'll, it'll jump out because it's a shock. Uh, but what you're doing when you slowly start lowering that standard, lowering that bar, you're turning the, the water up and you're, you're lowering the, the quality of what you are, what makes you you. So I get it. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, managed like reservations, right? So instead of hiring an, a body to be here and, and be in the kitchen, my wife, Hillary, who's my business partner, would come in and make the pasta. She'd bake the cakes um, our general manager, Jen Bueller at the time, who has chef skills, would come in and do prep work. And instead of taking all the reservations that we could, we, we would make the sacrifice. We do less covers to do it the way that we wanted to do it. And Nate and I would, you know, we closed the day of the week so that Nate and I could have two days off. And, you know, that was a better thing because that we always, that's what's most important to us. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think like those types of experiences are what like, cultivates culture like we're willing to sacrifice everything to do things as close to how we want our guests to have it right awesome we don't have to deal with that now we have we have great employer <laughs> employees now so i'm curious uh one of the things you mentioned back with the butcher shop was that you didn't have the time uh to look at the margins to to look at the details to, to work on the business I'm assuming you have the time now because you've scaled to the second restaurant mm-hmm. um, and now you're consulting for Gwen out in, yep. in, in California. So what did you do differently in Cure to remove yourself so you're not working in the business as much as you're working on the business? Yeah, I, I think I had there. I, I realized that I realized that if I'm and it started with just food, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like if I'm the guy making the gnocchi every day. Uh, you know, how do I actually think about how that gnocchi dish evolves, you know? And um, it's a hard thing to do to be totally hands on and have tasks, right? To have a full blown prep list and have free space in your mind to be creative or to be able to be thoughtful about the entire menu. Um, it's really hard to do. I mean, uh, so I saw an opportunity in Nate Hobart and I pushed him into my position and it didn't mean that I wasn't in the kitchen anymore. It just meant that he was doing my job. He was standing in the place that I would have been standing in during prep mm-hmm. so that I could work on not just food for the restaurant, but how the restaurant was evolving as a yeah. physical space. And I honestly realized that I think I, I, I realized that I was a better chef because of it. Um, so, yeah. yeah. 
Awesome. And ultimately, that's what we're, we're doing as the owner, as the chef. We're replacing ourselves. Yeah. Uh, that should be the goal. So we can go on and uh, create opportunities for our people and open other restaurants. Uh, so what was – I get this is a good uh, part to probably transition into – actually, one, one more question I'm curious. Uh, this is just for my own curiosity. You got a lot of accolades and a lot of attention. How did you keep your, I guess, composure and your uh, your ego – how do you not let that get to you in staying humble? How do you do that? Well, I mean, I think it goes all, all in line with everything else I've said, you know, yeah. like, um, I, you know, we've had experiences with, I mean, let's, I mean, be honest, like cooks and chefs, they can be really arrogant. They could be super egotistical. Um, and I just don't really, have, I've never really found a place for that in the restaurant. Yeah. Um, it, it just never, has never made sense to me. You know, if we go back and like, just look at all the little, highlights of the conversation you know teamwork communicate you know yeah i mean everybody's got an ego right i mean i'd be i'd be a liar if i said i didn't have an ego okay but i mean i try to leave it at the side door would you say that ego has slowly have you gotten more exit like you know outside of yourself to like look into like okay maybe i i should dial that back like is that was that an issue um yeah sure i mean yeah i mean i mean i think we've i've had that moment um honestly though like to get back to the accolades and everything like I like those things are great. I love, I mean, I'm honored. I'm completely honored. Um, but it doesn't change the reality of what you have to do every day. You know, like a James Beard nomination or, you know, a best new chef nomination is awesome. But you're like, what does that realistically does is changes expectation. Yeah. And the most important thing for me is whether, you know, whatever someone reads about this restaurant, or any restaurant that I own for me, the most important thing is that they actually experience it. You know, I, I'm sure you, you I'm sh- sure you've been to a restaurant that you, you know, you've read so much about, you've like made it a goal to travel to a place to dine at it. And it's not actually what you expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And I, that's like my biggest fear. Mm. Um, so for me, like those accolades, uh, they really just like it's drive, you know, it's like people are expect are going to expect more. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it just put, it has made me put my head down. That makes I, sense. It, honestly, uh, I, I've almost removed myself from a lot of the things I used to partake in. Um, uh, you know, I, I used to go out a whole lot more than I do now. Um, but like everything is, I've got so much more to lose now than I've ever had. So, you know, the idea, the thought might be that the more of these accolades you get, the easier your life is. And honestly, I look at it the total, the opposite. Like for me, the more accolades we get, the harder I have to work. The more is expected out of me, the more opportunity I have. And coming from like how Cure became what it is, like opportunity is everything to me. Yeah. You know, like I made Cure out of the hardest way possible um, in I have to really take advantage of the opportunities that it creates for yeah, me, absolutely. you know, because I want to retire someday. You know what I mean? It's and honestly, it's not about the accolades, yep. you know, realistically, they're great. You know, I love, I love it. You know, it drives business. Um, I've gotten to meet a lot of really great chefs because of them, but realistically, you know, for me on the personal level, like I have changed so much from the guy I was when I opened Cure Restaurant to the guy I am now because it's totally different for me. The goal was to like do like create a scenario where I could do what I love to do, right? Well, I've done that and it's awesome. And I, um, but now 
It's like, how do I sustain that, make it better and transition it into something that actually allows me to retire someday? Yeah. Right. Yep. So let's kind of talk into that, the, the scaling of not just the one business, but now your multiple businesses. Uh, what was it like opening a second restaurant? Um, well, had so much to do with like the work that we've done at Cure. You know, like when we opened Cure, no one knew us. So all of that attention was like hard work, literally. You know, it was physical labor. Um, we've never paid for an advertisement, you know, and, and, and we, we do have, a, we pay PR um, to handle incoming press, but we've never put money into PR to spin stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we didn't start paying for PR until much after we started getting those accolades. Um, but like, you know, cure is all about hard work. 100%, you know, Morcia is really fortunate because it got to benefit from the hard work of cure. And, uh, a good part about that is, um, the people that we had here at cure, right? So, uh, we over we we overstaffed the the restaurant because for me the most important thing was the culture of how people work together, uh, how we get that down the street at Morcia, mm-hmm. you know. And we took some of our best employees here and temporarily had them work at Morcia and brought them back. Um, but you know, like opening Morcia was totally different. We had because of the hard work that we did at cure. Um, we had an investor, uh, we had, um, a bank loan. Um, you know, we spent a shitload of money. We had all the money yeah, to the spend, backing, the experience, the, the reputation, uh, you know, all those, all those things, they, they compound on each other to, to make these opportunities happen for yourself. So, the, so would you say the second time around, was it easier or was it just, different? Uh, I wouldn't say it was easier. It's different. I mean, you couldn't ask for two more opposite scenarios, right? Cure opens with no money uh, <laughs> and no, like no one knew who we were, you know, yeah. like, yeah, like this restaurant was dead when we first yeah. opened, you know, where Morcia and like, I didn't have like Morcia, the total opposite, you know, um, Morcia was jam packed to capacity from the day that we opened for an entire almost year and three quarters, you know, like, yep. Unfucking believable how yeah. busy that place was. Um, and that was 2016, so a year and three quarters. Are you just starting now to see a dip? In, in well, revenue? I think that we we were very fortunate to not see any of the restaurant trends okay. for like the first year and a half or more. Um, it's uh, now it's closed because of a, a flood. Yeah, but um, I think that we this like let's say September ish we we started to just experience the same trends that we experience here at yeah. Cure. And that's awesome. Yeah. That's an awesome thing. You know, Cura was like, you know, this, the space evolved into what it is over years. Uh, you know, it's, it was a totally different restaurant when we opened to it is now. Um, but I, I mean, honestly, going, looking back at it, like, I, w- I don't know if I would, which version I would pick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the yeah. other side of it is, you know, when we opened Cura with zero money, we also had very little debt to pay back. Yeah. And which, you know, made it possible for yeah. me to come in here and, do what I wanted to do. Whereas, you know, we did the opposite over there. We, we borrowed the, when there's expectations, which is, yeah. yeah, And I think we've, I think we do that. Yeah. You know, but like that loan payments hefty. Yeah. You know, so we're at an hour and 30 minutes combined between both episodes and I want to respect your time. Uh, so is there anything else that we haven't discussed up to this point? Any big lessons that you think are worth dropping on my listeners before we hit you with the speed round? Um, so I think the one thing that like, for me right now and I was just 
you know, so we talk about how I feel like, you know, you come become a better chef when you can pull yourself away from the kitchen a little bit, you know what I mean? And then like decide to open another restaurant, which means, you know, I have to try to do the same thing at two restaurants and, you know, by design, I create a scenario where I don't have to be in either one of my kitchens ever. I am in both kitchens all the time, but that's one of the most rewarding and the saddest parts of what I deal with every single day. Right. So I walk into cure restaurant every day and the team is awesome. Danielle, our chef de cuisine is fantastic. Our cooks are amazing. Martina Di Batista, our general manager is the best. And, you know, I've empowered them to be really the best that they can be inside the space. And so often it's like, you know, I don't, if I didn't want to do anything, I wouldn't have to. Yeah. And like, you know, it's like, but I've done that. Yeah. You know, I've trained these people to do it, but now it's like, I, I don't get to do what I love to do as much as I, you know, there's I, also the reality of the fact that we can't always do the work that you used to do your, your body in this industry. What are you trying to say? <laughs> well, you you got to prepare yourself for the future because eventually your body's going to break down. So you need to be thinking like that. You, I mean, you, you can't be dependent. You can't depend on yourself forever yeah. because your body won't be, you need to groom those people. You need to empower those people. Like you said, uh, and give them opportunity because it's just, it's not sustainable. It's not humanly sustainable to, to survive off yourself for an entire career in the hospitality industry. Yeah. And I, you know, for me, it's about just, you know, you know, there's plenty of what I have to do and there's plenty of what I do that I really love. You know, it's just a matter of like growing up as a cook, yeah. you know, like I'm not, I can't be the cook that comes to work at 11 a.m. and goes home at 1 a.m. every every night anymore. I just can't do it. Yeah. You know, so. Awesome. All right. Great stopping point right here. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question. Honestly, does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurant? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like a foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have 
access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Chef, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I think work ethic. All right. What is your biggest failure? Not your failure. What is your biggest weakness? (laughs) (laughs) I've only done 430 of these. You think I would have it down by now? Biggest weakness. Mm. It's a hard one. So many. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, honestly, my work ethic and my pride might also be my weakness. You know, like I'm really proud of what cure is. And I sometimes am too proud. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> Dive into it a little more. I'm curious. To hear uh, you know, I, I want to be the guy that I, I want to be the guy that's here, like sweating it out in the kitchen every day because that's who I used to be. And that's where this place came identity, from. And, yeah. but I'm not anymore. Um, and that, that's, that's rough. Okay. I get that. Uh, what's one question you ask or thing that you look for during the interview process when you're trying to build that team? Um, I, I actually, I ask, what does the team mean to you? What are you looking for? Uh, well, that answer very, that answer varies like drastically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's always different, but what I'm looking for is just like a human conversation. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's an easy one. I don't think there's an actual real answer to it. Yeah. It's just one of those things that probes people yeah. to like, you it know. gives you a sense of what they're made of. I dig it. Uh, what's a current challenge today? Current challenge today is I really want to grow my charcuterie program. And that is my challenge. That's what I'm working on right now. Isn't that kind of like what you're known for? The, the charcuterie? Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, we do. So we used to do it here at Cure, all of it, obviously, because we didn't have Mercia. Um, and we don't have a walk-in cooler. Uh, and then we, we built and like rinky dink, like, MacGyvered charcuterie rooms here at Cure. Marcia, we built a really awesome charcuterie room. Um, I just see the opportunity to, uh, I really see the opportunity to turn it into something like bigger than Cure and Marcia restaurant. So when you say bigger and grow, are you talking about diversity, uh, creativity, or volume? Uh, all of those things. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's so much in, so much charcuterie that doesn't fit into the menu here or at Marcia. Um, that as I, as I grow as a professional and older, I really want to, uh, make like, I want to, I want really want to like, I want to sell bacon and pastrami and, uh, you know, that'd be a great concept, right? I mean, uh, no, I hate that word concept amongst (laughs) all the other things that we, we do make. Um, I wish we had more space in our, in our drying room to cure more whole hams because it's such a long learning curve to figure that out. And I think after making charcuterie for, I don't, I don't know, 15 years. Like I feel like I finally have figured out how to make ham as best I can. Mm -hmm. But the reality of what that means in terms of cost of carrying that, that inventory and how much space it takes up is, is a huge challenge. Uh, So, and honestly, like people don't really realize it, but like that charcuterie program is a challenge. I mean, just in terms like, so we have a charcuterie program at Morcia that powers cure in Morcia which means Marcia and Cure have to own like $40,000 worth of charcuterie at all times. 
you know, like that jams up. Yeah. Uh, that's like, that's all your cash, right? So it's instead of like, if I were just buying a charcuterie, I would have that cash and I would yep. buy it as I needed it. Do you insure that? What's that? Do you insure that overhead? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Maybe that's a different conversation. So that's like, the, <laughs> that's, so there's a lot of like things, uh, about our charcuterie, um, that are challenging me right now. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I wish we had more time to dive into it. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. These are things like core values, teaching your team how to be. Hmm. Teamwork makes the dream work. Oh, I dig it. Uh, what's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is uh, uncommon to the industry, but standard within your restaurant. Um, I think one of the things I have to remind people all the time is that we're all humans. We all make mistakes. Um, and please ask for help. You know, I think a lot of restaurants, like let's say other restaurants with similar accolades. Um, I think what I try to get across to people is we don't expect you to know anything, but what we do expect for you is to be open to learning everything the way that we do it. And I've never really worked in a restaurant like that. You know, I, I've worked in some restaurants where you show up and, uh, and you know, they're like, you're, if you, you're expected to know everything and you're like kind of an, idiot until you prove to me that you're not and mm-hmm. i've so often find myself and my staff members breaking down that stereotype yeah you know we have to pull people aside and be like hey what what's going on like yeah. what you're you're destroying yourself right now it's all in your head like there's all these people here that are willing to help you you know there's all these questions that yeah. you're not asking because you're afraid to yeah you know just be so be willing to, to ask for help and yeah. know when you don't know. And my phone number is right there. Like you <laughs> yeah. can you can call me. All right, right. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right. So share an online resource or tool. Uh, this could be like a, a magazine Dude, or Instagram is the best. <laughs> so go deeper on that because I need something specific. What are you doing with Instagram? Well, that's really you know the thing that I think has been cool about it. Like I've never really been a huge. In, I've never really been into like Facebook or Twitter or any of those things, but like. I got to reconnect with people that I, I didn't think I'd ever meet again mm-hmm. in professionally. Right. Like this guy, Christoph Grosjean, who was my chef de cuisine at Marina's at Bernardus Lodge, like mm-hmm. because of Instagram, yeah, like I, I had dinner with him in Bordeaux a couple of years ago. And like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, for me, it's so much about like the relationships that you have and like what you've learned from people. And like all of a sudden, like myself and this guy, Christoph, who, you know, I haven't worked with him since 2000, like, four but all of a sudden he and i are sharing cooking knowledge together again yeah and it's just a source of inspiration to see what other people are up to to, to see where you are where other people are uh absolutely i agree i mean i try really hard not to put any of my opinions out on that mm-hmm. thing right um but to me it's a, like like i said I, I could give you like five or six people that i didn't think i'd ever see again in my life yeah that were like made a huge difference on who i am as a cook yeah that now i talk to you all the time that's awesome uh, what's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Man, you know what? I, there's this book, uh, it's called cooking by hand by Paul Bertoli. Um, it, it was like the first charcuterie, like modern charcuterie book. I think yep. he was the chef at, uh, Oliveto in Oakland. And I think he was actually one of the original chefs at, or he was a chef at Chez Panisse for a while. And then he opened Oliveto and now he owns Fermani Salami. But, the book is fantastic. The thing about I love most about food is like the history and culture behind it. And like, yeah. I don't really like the idea of like thinking that we're inventing food as much as like, I like to really understand and honor where food came yeah. from. Uh, and that I think in, I think inspires to invent 
right? But you're, you're, it's coming from somewhere. Oh, there's this book. I think I have it in my backpack. Uh, it's called, uh, I think it's called Salted. Uh, but it's a history of uh, oh salt yeah salt yeah. yeah he also does one cod was it Peter Kaczynski yes yes yeah, yes yeah. older guy yeah uh, he pig per- he wrote Pig Perfect yes, which is a yes, great yes. book also so that's a great book on just the the history of charcuterie in America yep. which is really interesting did you t- check it out I haven't read that no it's on my list get it in my car maybe I'll, I'll lend it to you if you want so <laughs> cooking by hand is great because it is a really awesome explanation of what that guy's charcuterie is but it's also like stories about his life and why he loves food. And then it's also stories about things like balsamic vinegar. Yeah. And it's like, I don't like, honestly, like I can't, I've read that book more than any other cookbook I've ever owned. And I don't really read it for the recipes as much as like Inspiration, you read it yeah. for like the story that it tells. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Uh, and it makes me feel good about what I'm doing. Cause it's all about telling the story and it's powerful. You can learn so much just from the stories of other people. Yeah. Uh, okay. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant that has influenced operations. I'm talking about systems, uh, uh, communication profitability. What are you using? <laughs> Wait, say that again. So a technology that's technology, more like okay. in, in house, like a technology you're leveraging to increase the, so oper- the, the efficiencies of your operation. We have this technology and her name is Hillary Prescott. She's my <laughs> wife. Um, she does all of that. Um, her and I have a really fantastic relationship. Uh, she, the work that she does allows me to be good at what I do. Yeah. She that makes sense. I'm not the guy that runs your business. You know what I mean? I'm not the guy that installs and manages your POS system. I'm not the guy that deals with yeah. the reservations. You know, like I'm the guy that deals with all things creative, culture, yep. people. Yep. Um, so I'm happy that's coming out now because I was curious about the dynamics of that partnership and who is in what lane. Uh, and it sounds like you just spelled it out for us. So if I get the opportunity to speak to your wife, Hillary, uh, hopefully that comes out in that conversation. Uh, okay. So this is the last question. It's a good one. You ready for it? Sure. You got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be gone with your departure, except for three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true to leave this world a better place and our industry a better place. What would they be? That is such a deep question. (laughs) My my brain just popped off my head. Um, I guess I should have been prepared for that, huh? (laughs) <laughs> is that what you sent me I was supposed to read I think it was in there yeah god damn it <laughs> you guys are busy I understand um, well let's see um, I mean I think I've said a lot I mean are you talking about work and specific specifically what are the three things I mean I think it's like really important to ask for help like it's super important I think it's our most powerful tool whether it's professionally or personally um, I think just basic everyday human conversation is one of the more powerful tools that we have. I think it's not something that, you know, I think the concept of like put your head down and work Mm -hmm. or make it happen or, you know, like being expected to achieve the impossible every single day at work is unrealistic and unsustainable. Um, I think that the work to do work, to set your, your staff up for success and write a, write a menu that's realistic. And as it evolves, you know that it can function out of your kitchen to make sure that your people are happy and supported, then I think that's really important because when you do that, people are learning. And when you do that, people go home and sleep well at night. When you do that, people accomplish things every day. And that's what's important Mm. to running a restaurant. It's not about who the chef is. It's not about creating food. It's not about the food on the plate. It's really not. 
I think the food comes from how a group of people treat each other. 100%. So ask for help. Uh, it's all about how you treat each other. And is there a third one? Um, yeah. If you want to be a chef, right? You want to own your own restaurant. Mm-hmm. Then I suggest you buy a pickup truck and you fill it up with power tools. <laughs> Period. You know, you got to learn how to troubleshoot HVAC, refrigeration. Um, you should get comfortable with a caulking gun for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine a world where I could ever possibly afford to pay someone to fix everything in the restaurant that breaks. I just don't understand I put, it. I put learn how to be a handyman. Is that good? <laughs> I would say I would edit that to buy a truck and fill it up with power tools. All right. You want, I'll send you a list of power tools you're going to need. Buy, buy a truck. As long as they're on Amazon, <laughs> I can link to them for the affiliate uh, commission. I'll buy a truck. Uh, and fill it with power tools. Yeah. Got yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then you can buy your knife kit later. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Chef, thank you so, so much for taking the time for, uh, we sat here for almost two hours. Uh, I'm so generous or I'm so grateful for your generosity uh, to, to share your knowledge, to share your wisdom, uh, to allow me to make an example of you uh, and your, your work ethic, your dedication, uh, your ability to stay true to yourself. Uh, there is no question you are unstoppable, uh, and I almost forgot we're going to have you call somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator or, or somebody in the industry uh, that needs to be made an example of? Uh, Tarver King. He's uh, from the restaurant at Patamac Farm in Lovettsville, Virginia. Um, he is an incredible human and an inspiration to me. Always has been. I mean, you're, you're going to have way better conversation with him than you this will with me. This pretty good, but... Uh, uh, Tarver King, look out. I'm coming yeah. after you. And let the folks at home know if you want to follow your work, uh, maybe connect with you to pick up a conversation, maybe join your team. What's the best way to connect uh, email or social handles you want to drop on us? Um, you know, I, I like to be, I'm old school. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I think a lot, a lot of people in this world that we live in um, like to forget the professional approach to uh, trying to connect with a kitchen. Um, you know, I think a resume emailed with a cover letter yeah. to our info at, Mm-hmm. It is the appropriate way to do it. It's not a direct message on social media. Okay. So info at cured. Yep. Or info, info at cure restaurant, cure Pittsburgh or info at Marcia Pittsburgh. Okay. Beautiful. I'll have those links in the show notes as well as a, a link to the books and uh, tools recommended in the summary of today's discussion. You're going to put a link to Hillary Prescott in there. Um, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Right, let's, let's create a website for Hillary Prescott. <laughs> uh, head over to uh, restaurant unstoppable.com slash four, three, zero or four three one uh and i'll go back to this episode uh again chef thank you so much for everything and i'll say it one more time there is no questioning you are unstoppable thank you (laughs) cheers well there is another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable chef justin severino Wow. Uh, where to start, guys? A uh, two-part episode. Uh, I can't even remember what I drew from the last episode. I, or, well, I remember what I, I got from I can't remember what I, I said in the closing thoughts. Uh, so if I overlap, I'm sorry. Uh, but I think the big thing to take away from today's uh, discussion, part two of this conversation, is the, the never-ending uh, evolution, right? Uh, when he opened Cure, it was about uh, uh, evolving the space, and then it was about about evolving the people uh so you could you know get those people in place to eventually replace themselves so get rid of the idea of uh getting there finally someday 
and having everything be easy because that never happens. Uh, it, it's a constant, never-ending pursuit to better yourself and to evolve into to to bring it to the next level, and that's how the best in the world think. Uh, regardless of what whatever industry you're in, you're you're constantly evolving something. You're constantly growing. You're you're constantly learning. It, it, there's never getting there. It's a constant pursuit, and I think once you accept that, and once you learn to live with your current situation and whatever that situation is and just be happy and grateful for what you have and just constantly be growing and learning. And that's where things really start to change. And I mean, your, your happiness probably changes too in that regard uh, because you're not constantly looking for that, that feeling of, of I'm there uh, because you, you won't ever get it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I don't know. I love that thought of just constant evolution. And also uh, I might've mentioned this yesterday because I think it came up in both parts asking for help. Uh, it's okay if you're busting your ass and uh, falling on your face as long as you're busting your ass because uh, you will get back up and you will be better uh, when you get back up. And uh, just just awesome stuff uh, in both of these conversations. Again, Chef Justin Severino, thank you so much for the time, uh, the knowledge, the mentorship. And if you guys are finding value in these episodes, if you're learning and growing yourself, if you're evolving, share the love. Uh, this podcast is all about empowering restaurant operators to be great and we do that by making an example of those who are great and if you want to uh keep this good stuff going we, we got to share the word we got to get it out there so please help me uh spread the word uh share this episode with anybody and everyone you know aspiring to be great yeah keep those five-star reviews on itunes and stitcher radio coming i do accept donations every little bit helps but again the best way to support this podcast is simply by sharing it and I guess that's all for today. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.